Welcome to Law X.0, a Bloomberg Law podcast dedicated to seeing around corners and preparing you for the next version of the legal industry. Welcome to Law X.0. I'm Dory Goldstein. And I'm Meg McAvoy. We're legal analysts for Bloomberg Law. Today, we're kicking off a three-part series on cryptocurrency. If you haven't been paying that much attention to crypto because you think it's for criminals uh, or because you just don't think it's relevant for your life, then this episode is for you. We've invited two of our colleagues to join us today to give us some terminology and some background. They'll also break down some of the myths and misconceptions. Our next two episodes will be about the future of cryptocurrency regulation. We'll hear from federal and state regulators who are active in the crypto space. But today is about mastering the basics. Joining us today are Robert Kim and Tom Shen. Robert Kim is a senior legal analyst with Bloomberg Law. He served as a senior counsel on the Securities and Exchange Commission staff and as a manager of the Bank Secrecy Act Regulatory Enforcement Program for the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Tom Shen is a data scientist and crypto enthusiast and analyst for Bloomberg Law. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Tom, let's start with you. I guess the first thing I really need to wrap my head around is why should I, as a lawyer, care about cryptocurrency? Like, why does it matter to me? So not to sound overly grandiose, but I would <laughs> analogize this fintech transformation we are experiencing to the early adoption and emergence of the internet. That in itself, when we're talking about money, money touches everyone. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about the transformation of that, it has the potential to touch you know, lawyers, accountants, and everyone involved, right? And so specifically for some practice areas, you will have newly emergent issues um, come from this cryptocurrency space. Um, From some areas, uh, you will have these new issues alter the way that practice is changing. And then in other areas, it probably won't affect the practice very much, but it will change the way people do things. I think a lot of people believe, and I may have been one of these people, (laughs) that crypto is really just for criminals, terrorists, drug dealers, that this is a way to hide transactions. Is that the case? Well, you can absolutely take the Brad Sherman perspective on this issue. Right. And, um, you know, I'm not here to say whether that is entirely right or wrong. Wait, let's let's explain what the Brad Sherman... The Brad Sherman perspective is that, um, what, well, the hypothesis you just presented, which is cryptocurrencies are purely for the use of narco terrorists mm-hmm. and narco terrorists um, <laughs> and other shady individuals and uh, the only reason why you would have a cryptocurrency is because you want to hide from the authorities in some way while you can entirely take that perspective i think if cryptocurrency was just a token passed between terrorists and drug dealers Um, they wouldn't be able to get much use out of it. After all, how are you going to convert that cryptocurrency to real-world items or value? I think this is a common perspective with lots of new technologies. Uh, A technology adoption has frequently happened at the fringes of society just because um, the norm or um, the uh, common technologies at the time are actually designed to keep some of those fringe elements um, on the fringes, mm-hmm. um, per se. And so, you know, criminals are actually a fairly f- creative bunch, um, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, 
and 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 that's because they have to continue to innovate to stay ahead of the law, right? If you're a criminal and you think inside the box, you'll end up inside the box, right. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. Um, and so you know, we've we've seen this ado- similar adoption with the porn industry. Um, they were the very first ones um, to start uh, streaming media on the internet, hmm. um, and with alcohol running, uh, which eventually led to the development of NASCAR. So, Tom, I'm going to ask you to help us out with some definitions. What exactly is a cryptocurrency? Can you define it for us? And I know that that blockchain is also a relevant term in this space. Um, so what is crypto and how exactly is it intermediate? Is it intermediating trust the way you've talked about? Sure. Um, a cryptocurrency in its very simplest form is a digital asset secured using uh, cryptography. Um, Right now, the most common form of cryptocurrency, and virtually all of them, are implemented on some sort of blockchain. And what a blockchain is, it's a way of storing um, data or information in a sequence of packages called blocks, um, such that the data is very, very difficult to reverse engineer or alter in any way. And all of that is secured um, in a chain using cryptography. So this blockchain structure allows those maintaining this digital ledger, right, to come to a consensus on what the right version of the history is. And so that instead of having social institutions or the courts decide what the right version of history is based on evidence, based on a series of relationships that require um, a fair amount of investment, now you're offloading all of that to technology. And I know I've also heard a lot about stablecoin. What is that and how is it different? Again, in its very simplest form. And I think... Cryptocurrency is such a rapidly developing area that these definitions tend to shift quite a bit. So in in its very essence, a stable coin is a tokenized derivative of which its value is pegged to an existing currency, a basket of currencies, or potentially um, some sort of good like precious metals or other things. Okay. Hmm. And I guess, I mean, to dig a little deeper, I have a question about that term. So stable coins uh, make me feel more comfortable when I read about them because they <laughs> sound stable. Sure. <laughs> um, is, but is it actually a misnomer? Are they, in fact, more stable than other cryptocurrencies? The short answer is maybe. <laughs> um, and I would say in, in, in many cases, no. Um, but it really depends on the infrastructure in place, right, and the underlying asset that um, it is being pegged to. So if you are pegging a uh, stable coin against the Turkish lira, uh, no offense to the Turkish government, um, it may its value may or may not be more stable than, say, Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency. Okay. Okay, or a stable coin that's pegged to, for example, the Halloween candy supply in my house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And um, with that said, you're also dependent upon the maintenance of the blockchain supporting that stable coin, um, and whether you can actually there's enough liquidity to redeem that stable coin for the underlying asset. If there are no mechanisms to 
do that sort of redemption or exchange, uh, then you may not have any sort of valuation behind that stable coin. So all of this sounds a, a little complicated to me, and I'm just kind of trying to figure out why do we need this? Like, why do we need these in- innovations? Isn't traditional currency doing this already? Isn't it intermediating trust? Isn't that the role of banks? Isn't we're having tons of transactions? Why crypto? Throughout human history, um, we found ways to intermediate trust through human com- uh, through social conventions, and so you can. What I like to do is visualize the development of fintech solutions in multiple layers. Um, So the first layer would be kind of the user experience layer, where you have new apps, you have new interfaces, such as paying for coffee with your phone, for example. I love that. (laughs) I do. Uh, The second layer would be uh, new services, right? So the fact that you can store your money with PayPal or Venmo or be able to transfer money using um, technology. Right. But all of that rests upon a layer um, that is, frankly, dated back to the 70s or before. Um, And that is an infrastructure layer um, where settlements are still using the same rickety system uh, that we've pretty much we've always used um, since, you know, the advent of the modern financial systems. And so if you need to send a dollar to a foreign bank, that transaction and settlement relies upon a series of relationships between those banks, um, whether it's um, cross-border or not. And those banks need to form all sorts of bilateral relationships to make that transaction work. Um, And there's a cost, there's a risk, um, there's significant transaction costs to all of that. Interesting. So we're we're really talking about technological advancement in the settlement layer, in the infrastructure layer. That also depends on how sophisticated um, of a financial infrastructure or what country um, your environment is in. I think in less sophisticated um, environments, you will have cryptocurrency affecting all three layers Hmm. of um, the way a person would interact with cryptocurrency. Um, I in a more sophisticated financial institution, most the adoption or the core efficiency gains will be in that bottommost layer. Well, thank you so much for joining us and answering our questions. Sure. Now I'd like to turn to Robert. Robert, I have some questions for you about the legal implications of cryptocurrency. I want to start out with something that we touched on with Tom, and that's this idea that a lot of people, including several members of Congress, believe that cryptocurrency is for criminals money launderers, terrorists, other criminals. Do you think that's the case? Well, I think it's one of those ideas that took hold years ago, has been true, however, will eventually no longer be true. Okay. Uh, When you look at the technology and how it's used, I think there's a little bit of mistbusting that eventually happens because when you look at how easy it is to slip money unnoticed through the financial system. Mm -hmm. Stacks of dollar bills are the best thing to use. (laughs) You have a very hard time identifying them. Um, You have no idea whose hands they were in before. Uh, There's a reason why suitcases full of money are handed over in the movies. Well, um, transferring money uh, by wire through a bank is a little bit more perilous. Uh, There are records of what accounts that went through, uh, where it's been. Well, uh, 
cryptocurrencies potentially offer an even more information-rich environment. Uh, there is a trace of where every single Bitcoin or other unit of cryptocurrency has been over time. So for a, someone who is very technically skilled, uh, the amount of forensic analysis you can do is tremendous, potentially. And we're starting to see that. Uh, there was very recently a case where uh, the IRS uh, Criminal Investigation Division was able to do uh, cryptocurrency forensics and bust a child porn ring that was global. So I think that that's one of those uh, one of those things that have been true so far, but which people will eventually learn is not, learn is not. So give me some examples of what cryptocurrency can be used for. What are the real world use cases? Um, right now, if you talk to the crypto anarchists, you'll uh, probably uh, hear that it's useful for everything and superior for everything. But <laughs> for most of us, that is simply not the case. Hmm. Um, a lot depends on uh, the extent of your use of technology and how much the mainstream economy actually is, is interested in use of cryptocurrency. Um, most people probably will have very little need for it. Uh, they use cash, credit cards, you know, PayPal, Venmo. So the need isn't there. However, um, cryptocurrencies have some advantages. Uh, they offer advantages in speed because of the amount of disintermediation that's occurred. So it's possible to see how in settings like, say, on Wall Street, where fractions of a second in trading can make a tremendous difference, that uh, you might want cryptocurrency instead of conventional currency as it's currently handled. So there are potential use cases where there are real advantages out there. And some of them are in under development, whether it's in the field of cryptocurrencies or other uses of uh, blockchain technology to handle data. What do you think will be one of the first sort of wider adoption use cases? I was thinking as cannabis legalizes, is that a potential application where, oh, I, I buy my pot with crypto? It could be because of regulatory concerns. Um, right now, we have the situation where Cannabis sales are illegal in many states, but at the federal level, uh, for a federally regulated bank to handle funds from crypto companies, it's something they just don't want to do. Hmm. So it very well could be that a uh, crypto-based financial institution uh, transmitting money may have, uh, may be what crypto, uh, may, what cannabis companies have to turn to. You touched on the regulations. I want to talk about that a little bit more. Can you give us sort of an overview of the regulatory landscape in the U.S.? Who can regulate cryptocurrency and how are they doing with it? Well, um, in a way, in the U.S., we're uh, somewhat handicapped compared to the rest of the world in how fast we can react to a development like cryptocurrencies. Uh, we have the largest and most sophisticated financial markets in the world. As a result, we have the most sophisticated and most numerous financial regulators in the world. Also, under the Constitution, we have a federal system with uh, the federal government and state governments, which retain a broad range of authorities, uh, including in financial regulation. So we have a multitude of different federal regulators that are in some way relevant to cryptocurrencies. And we also have the state layer. And uh, as, as we know, uh, getting multiple government agencies to work together can often be a challenge and usually works quite slowly. And having federal and state authorities uh, work together can also be difficult. So as our listeners are kind of following more in the crypto space, what are the major agencies that have the potential to touch on uh, the regulation? What, what, uh, which alphabet letters should they be looking for as they're reading articles? Well, uh, there's several that have jumped out already. Uh, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, uh, FinCEN, where I used to work, mm -hmm. was the first government agency to uh, 
uh, really take a serious look at cryptocurrencies and their implications. Uh, because they deal with uh, money laundering and financial crimes, mm -hmm. they uh, identified the importance of cryptocurrencies very early. Um, the other, I guess what you call first-line regulators of financial institutions have been a bit slower, uh, but as issues have come up and entered the mainstream, uh, they become involved. Uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for one, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, Commodities Future Commodity Futures Trading Commission. <laughs> Uh, the That's the CFTC. 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 <laughs> uh, now the Federal Reserve has uh, taken on a more active role with the uh, announcement of Facebook's Libra project. Um, and also the entire alphabet soup of different federal banking regulatory agencies, which are probably too numerous to list here. That sounds like a lot of agencies to coordinate. What kind of risks are we running into if it takes too long? What If the U.S. regulators act too slowly, does that present a risk? It does. Um, and it's something that uh, people heard during the hearings on in the House when uh, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook testified, but I think most uh, dismissed, maybe a little bit too cavalierly, which is that if our regulatory system uh, impedes innovation in this area, then we, we could seriously fall behind to many other foreign countries, uh, China among them. Oh, uh, wow. This is a warning that was raised by others. I mean, Niall Ferguson brought this up, I think, years ago. Um, and uh, if cryptocurrencies or some kind uh, or something like it, uh, perhaps issued by a central bank, are in fact going to be the wave of the future and will introduce major efficiencies, for the U.S. to fall behind would uh, potentially uh, uh, give China and others major competitive advantages. And what's the what is the downside if the world gets China's take on crypto first as opposed to the U.S.'s take on crypto? As I mentioned earlier, uh, cryptocurrencies are very uh, information rich. Uh, they have they convey a tremendous amount of information about uh, their past users, what they've been used for, um, the important the usefulness of uh, this kind of financial data in so many things the United States does, whether it's uh, law enforcement investigations, sanction enforcement. Uh, right now, we have a huge advantage in financial intelligence. Well, if the Chinese were to get that, I don't think that's an outcome that any of us would want. You mentioned that we have this advantage. Can you talk a little bit more about the dominance of the US dollar and how that could be under threat, or is it under threat because of cryptocurrency? Well. That is the warning that was brought up during all of the hearings on the Hill. Um, it's something that it, I think it's hard to say whether crypto would be that much of a factor. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, currently the, the, the existence of other major national currencies or the euro has not, uh, has not really threatened the U.S. dollar's hold on world trade transactions and its use as a reserve currency. So it's hard to say what the actual impact will be. I mean, I, I would, I'm not an economist, and mm -hmm. I don't even know if any economists have tackled that question yet. We know also that cryptocurrency is increasingly an area of focus for U.S. law firms um, and their banking and regulatory practices. How uh, should lawyers expect to be interacting with crypto in the next couple of years? Well, uh, I think we're seeing the emergence of uh, a number of major players uh, that uh, began in the crypto sphere. Uh, which are of uh, increase either of increasing importance in mainstream finance, 
or are running pilot projects now that could lead to uh, significant uh, significant ventures. So there, I think there will be a great deal of demand for uh, for regulatory compliance advice. Mm. Uh, it, it, when you have so much uncertainty about uh, which laws apply, about how they apply, uh, and poten- the potential for legislation from Congress that could change the situation uh, quite fundamentally, then there'll be a great need for uh, advice on regulatory compliance and also for um, how to defend against enforcement actions because inevitably some clients, even those who are well-meaning, will get it wrong. And uh, the 2000s saw a tremendous amount of uh, regulatory enforcement actions. So, and, and that was in the mainstream financial industry under laws that have been, had been in place for quite a while. So I think we can expect to see, it, see the same thing in the crypto sphere, and uh, that would pr- will probably be a growth area for years to come. In our next two episodes, we're going to be talking to two different regulators about crypto. Uh, first, we're going to talk to SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce, and then we'll talk to the New York Department of Financial Services Superintendent Linda Lacewell. Uh, can you give us a preview of what we should listen for in these interviews? In those interviews, of uh, a leader of one of the leading federal financial regulators and a leading state financial regulator, um, I think you'll hear a couple of different things. Uh, one is an answer to the question, who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> uh, when these regulators look at the, uh, the crypto sphere, which five years ago did not really exist as a concern for them, uh, how do they view their role with, in this new technological field that's emerging? Uh, and the second major thing to pay attention to is uh, the difference between the federal and state approaches. Um, the SEC and uh, the New York Department of Financial Services have overlapping uh, responsibilities in some ways. Uh, in some ways, their responsibilities are quite separate. Uh, one answers, they, they, they answer to different authorities, and uh, I think you'll see very different approaches from each of them. Well, thank you so much, Robert and Tom, for joining us. Uh, we've learned so much. Thank you for uh, giving us that baseline on cryptocurrency. If listeners want to follow more of your work, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RobertKimDC. And where can they find you, Tom? And they can find me on Twitter at SoberWaffles. Be sure to check in next time for part two of our three-part series on cryptocurrency. We'll be interviewing SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce, also known as Crypto Mom, about the federal regulation of crypto. You've been listening to Law X.0 from Bloomberg Law. For more Bloomberg Law analysis, visit news.bloomberglaw.com slash Bloomberg hyphen law hyphen analysis. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dory underscore Goldstein. That's D-O-R-I underscore G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm at Meg McAvoy, M-E-G-M-C-E-V-O-Y. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem. This is the largest managed pollination event on Earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat from pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious diseases. It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid. You just hope somebody's home. If you're interested in bees too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.